You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds, that's K-N-O-W-S bleeds, on Instagram at the nosebleeds, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds podcast. That's K N O W S Bleeds. And as always, you know, it's your boy. What is up? It is Kush. And I got my man, Corey Johnson. Corey, how you doing today? Good, man. It's always good to be here. Glad to really talk about sports. We got a lot, a lot to get into. So let's get it. Nosebleeds, we here. We back at it. Let's go. Yeah, we have a very eventful episode. This whole episode is going to be kind of focused on collegiate sports and the collegiate world. And Corey was lucky enough to get one of his friends and former Division One basketball player in an interview. So stay tuned to the end of the podcast and check out that interview. It's definitely insightful. So you want to stick around for that. But let's start off with uh, On This Day in Sports History, June 11th in 2012. The Los Angeles Kings defeated the New Jersey Devils to win the franchise's first Stanley Cup. Take a listen. For the first time in their 45-year history, a Stanley Cup for Los Angeles. The Kings are the Kings. Yeah, the LA Kings were in eighth seed coming into the playoffs, and they had an unbelievable run in in the playoffs. Went sixteen and four. Kopitar had a hell of a playoff run. Dustin Brown, the captain, had a hell of a run. Jonathan Quick. So, the, where were you when this uh, when the Kings won their Stanley Cup? I remember exactly where I was. I was at home. I was watching the game, and I just remember that that was like the first time where. With King, with the Kings, you felt like everything was starting to fall into place. Everything was coming together, and it was just they had like the right mix of veteran guys and uh, youngsters uh, on their team, and they had just such a perfect balance with their roster and with their chemistry. And you really felt as if that this team was going to do something special. And as soon as they were able to get out of that first round. As an eighth seed, I kind of felt like this team were, was able to do that. It, they're, they're already looking like a tough cookie to solve, <laughs> especially in the Western Conference. Once they got through the West, it was looking like, yo, I, I'm if I'm whoever coming out of the East, I'll be very concerned about facing against that uh, that Kings team. And lo and behold, they ended up winning not just their first Stanley Cup, but then a few years later, they ended up getting another one. So the Kings really definitely turned heads, but that first one is always is always something that's going to be some really memorable for the fan base and the city of L.A. Yeah, I think the Kings are definitely looking to get back to those glory days because right now they are a bottom feeder in the NHL, so they definitely want to turn things around. Yeah, slowly but surely, got to – Got to get them, uh, them draft picks and got to get some uh, 
some new blood in there. But but for sure, for sure, L.A. is waiting for another winner, that's for sure. Yep, so let's dive straight into our collegiate sports episode. Let's start off with the big news. Uh, USC ends Reggie Bush's 10-year disassociation. Um, 10 years ago, Reggie Bush was disassociated from USC after the NCAA put USC on probation for four years, and this was due to Reggie Bush and his family accepting gifts from two sports marketers. Um, Since then, he's had to forfeit his Heisman Trophy and was deemed untouchable by USC. So, I mean, USC at the time they had Reggie Bush was one of the best programs in the country. But since their probation, they're not even the best program in their conference. So, I mean, there's a big change. And former uh, USC wide receiver and current LA Rams receiver Robert Woods came out and said that Bush was the reason why a lot of players joined USC and stated that Bush is the greatest USC player of all time and deserves a statue. Um, Bush came out on the herd on Fox sports and said, I've dreamed of this day 10 plus years and I'm excited to come home. So what what are your thoughts on USC ending Reggie Bush's 10 years of disassociation? I mean, I remember as a kid and I'm sure a lot of people remember as a kid, um, being able to watch USC in the LA area and just remember Reggie Bush and his electrifying moments. If you weren't able to see Reggie Bush play, just go on YouTube and look at some of the stuff that he was able to do. Every single time he touched the ball, you knew something crazy was going to happen. And people forget. I mean, it wasn't just the Reggie Bush show. That whole USC, uh, that whole USC team was just a flat-out star-studded, star-filled uh, dynasty within that early 2000s era. And you also had Lindell White and you had Lightning. Yeah, yeah, you had Matt Weiner. But the, the, the fact they had two star-studded running backs, Lindell White and Reggie Bush, and you got Matt Liner, who ended up <clears throat> getting the Heisman Trophy. So, I mean, like, you, you, you just see, like, USC had stars on stars on stars, and there was a reason why they had so many different stars popping up and showing up at practices and uh, before the season would start. And there was a reason because everybody wants to be around a winner. Everybody wants that energy. Everybody wants to be circulated with that. And so uh, Reggie Bush, I think, um, took a heavy hit when it came out uh, about his news, and especially when he lost his uh, Heisman Trophy. And he said, also, since you mentioned it, he said when he was on the herd that, of course, he would love to have his Heisman Trophy back, but he he said that's not really his concern at this point in time. He's just glad that he's able to be associated with USC once again. He's able to be claimed by them, and I guess it just seems kind of weird. It's It's almost like a parent telling their kid that, oh, you're not my son or you're not my daughter for like 10 plus years. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, you're my kid now. And then it's all, (laughs) it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but I mean, to each their own. And, you know, Reggie Bush is happy that he can be once again uh, claimed as a Trojan. Yeah. I think USC is trying to get back to, I think everybody except if you're a UCLA fan wants USC to be the powerhouse that they once were. I think definitely the Pac-12 themselves, because if you look at it now, the Pac-12 doesn't get a lot of respect they deserve because of teams like the SEC, you know, the Big 12, uh, Big 10. They, 
they basically run over these teams come to the season. That's why you don't see them a lot in the college playoffs. I think outside of Oregon and then now Utah is kind of coming up. Uh, and outside of those, there's really no real threat for that college football championship outside of those teams. Yeah, I mean, the with 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 college sports, people will disagree, but college sports are must-see TV when USC football is playing their A game, when Duke basketball is in the hunt, when you get, like, the powerhouses, the, 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 the well-known names playing their A game, that causes everybody want to gravitate and look because even those who hate USC or even those who hate a Duke, they're going to want to look because guess what? They're going to want to see them lose because they want to see them lose because even, even when these teams have been struggling, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't, it hasn't been the same as those years in the past where everybody was rooting against uh, the top dogs. So that, so that way they, they didn't end up winning it because nobody wants to see a team go like, run the table and go undefeated. Like I remember that year where Kentucky almost went undefeated with Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Collingstein, the Harrison mm-hmm. twins. And then they ended up losing to Wisconsin and everybody was kind of like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> thank goodness. So, but I still say that would have been a very interesting uh, final. If you would have had Duke versus Kentucky in, uh, in that, uh, in that March madness final, that would have been a really good one, but yeah. Well, since we're on the topic of NCAA basketball, let's shift gears to, again, a player who has maybe taken gifts just like Reggie Bush, um, Zion Williamson in particular. His ex-manager, Gina Ford, um, claimed that Zion received money to attend Duke and was permanently ineligible to be a student athlete. Um, And then the most – this has been going on for past couple months and in most recent news – um, Gina Ford claims that Zion Williamson's parents' housing suggests improper benefits from Duke. So a little bit of backstory on who Gina Ford is. She was uh, representing Zion Williamson initially, and then Zion Williamson left her agency and signed with the powerhouse Creative Artist Agency, also known as CAA. They're notable for representing celebrities like Beyonce, Lil Wayne, George Clooney, and athletes like the Manning brothers, Cristiano Ronaldo. So in the most recent part of the claim, she, pro- she pointed out that the improved housing situation from Zion from when he used to live in South Carolina before he went to Duke and then while he was at Duke, his parents' housing in North Carolina. So before Duke, it was about an $895 monthly rent in South Carolina. And at Duke, while Zion was at Duke, the parents moved to North Carolina and the property was valued at $950,000 with about a $5,000 rent so and she even posted pictures of both properties so what are your thoughts on this entire situation are you pro zion and duke or do you think zion and duke deserves to be punished if this is true well my whole thing has been that uh athletes are receiving something like i feel like everybody came after deandre ayton in arizona when it got revealed that he had been accepting money uh, and that whole situation and that whole scandal there. But my thing was is that if if there is an inch, just a smidget of proof that something could be sketchy, 
then you kind of have to keep following down that rabbit hole in order to see the full angle, the full story. Now, could you say that this is just a quote-unquote coincidence that soon as Zion ends up at Duke, the family's living situation drastically changes? Sure, you can say that, but the optics do not look good from for Zion and his family at the moment because let's face facts like we're we're in society if things just look a little sketchy we're gonna we're gonna feel as if okay well he probably took money and I've always had a feeling that he probably did or um, some sort of agreement was put into place but since I don't have any evidence of it I'm not gonna accuse him of anything like that but Apparently, this woman has some sort, some sort of evidence, some sort of receipts, and you know, hey, Zion and his family are are learning that that old tale and that old lesson. You know, be very careful of a woman's scorn because she will come back and haunt you. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what transpires with this, but I mean, like you said, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think it is just a coincidence, but. This brings up the whole thing about NCAA playing their athletes in the first place for their likeliness or getting, you know, I I personally think they should be getting paid. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think if you are somebody, I think it depends. I think it's a, it should be a tier-based system. If you're somebody like a Mikey Williams or somebody like a Zion Williamson or LaMelo Ball or somebody who's just – has just like a larger than life sort of personality or has just like a crazy way of, 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 of a wave of fans that they can easily garner, then they have some sort of leverage. If you have leverage over a school or over the NCAA, I think you should be given the right to make money. That isn't to say that like, if you don't then you shouldn't, but, I think that there should be some sort of like a tier based or there should be some sort of a way to, to, to allow it. And I think that allowing players the right to get money through sponsorships is the right way to go. So that way the NCAA isn't responsible wholeheartedly in who gets paid and how much gets what, but just allowing them to be able to take control of their own destiny and being able to, um, satisfy their own careers and be able to take care of their families. I think it's a a huge thing that they have decided on and hopefully are not just saying that to get everybody off their case and get good PR and have everybody thinking that they're going to actually make a change. But in reality, things just say status quo. Hopefully that things do change because so many different times you hear about athletes who run and chase after a bag or chase after the money and end up getting scammed by a fake agent or end up getting scammed by uh, a swindler. I mean, we've heard about Kevin Garnett losing out on money. We've heard about Charles Barkley losing out on money and things of that nature. And you hate to see it, but I think a good way that that can be prevented is if the NCAA or some, some, sort of organization decides to step in and provide these young men and women with financial guidance in order to truly make sure that they are taken care of 
and not just out here being uh just being treated like horses or or, or treated like cattle you know so they have to really understand that if you're going to go this route then you can't just be like okay well we gave you the opportunity to make money and go off and do what you will take responsibility help these young people out help them understand what it means to gain money so that that way they don't just go out here and they're just being desperate and chasing after whatever sponsorship deal comes their way help them to be smart about how to market themselves and how to to grow themselves as a brand so that way they don't start off on a negative front and put themselves behind the eight ball and maybe sign into a bad deal or sign with a bad agent and next you know things are worse off than what they originally were without making money in the first place so it's all about what the ncaa is willing to provide and what they're willing to do as an organization yeah i think they're gonna definitely have to be swift about it too because you have leagues like the nba g league that players out of high school may be taking that route where they're just going to go straight to the g league and make their money or you've been seeing with uh lamello ball or with uh like emmanuel moutier with rj hampton guys going overseas to get their experience exactly and then going to the nba uh kind of just bypassing that entire college route so and i mean and those are big name players too those were big name recruits coming out of high school as well so i think the ncaa definitely needs to do something okay moving on um the state of idaho just passed a bill hb 500 which is called the fairness to women's sports act basically this bill is barring to students of male sex from any competition designated to female women or girls in Idaho. And any dispute would require physicians to establish the student's sex. So basically they're not allowing transgender athletes play in women's sports. Major athletes have taken this not so lightly and they're calling on the NCAA to move upcoming athletic events scheduled in Idaho, including March Madness, uh, following this bill. And I mean, athletes deemed it as explicitly and illegally discriminates against transgender athletes by barring them to com- from competing consistent with their gender identity and subjects all female athletes to the possibility of invasive genital and genetic screening. So very well-known athletes such as tennis player Billie Jean King, uh, WNBA legend Sue Bird, USA soccer star Megan Rapino, and Jason Collins, who was the first gay NBA player to come out are amongst these signees for this movement. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this uh, movement? Uh, it, it's very similar to what was going down in Charlotte. Um, Cause I remember a few years ago, the NBA was scheduled to have the all-star game in Charlotte and March Madness was supposed to be taking place in Charlotte and Charlotte was supposed to be getting on this type of business. Um, but the reason that that didn't end up going down was because of the controversial bill. I believe it was the, the, the bathroom bill. Um, and immediately you saw the, the, the impact where right away people were like, this is not okay. We need a boycott. Nancy double needs to step in They need to strip away. Um, and 
it ended up working and and it ended up forcing Charlotte to have to change legislation because they had lost out on so much business. They had lost out on so many financial business partners. And I would not be shocked whatsoever if the same thing happens with Idaho. And whenever these things sort of occur, it doesn't too much shock me where they are occurring because usually it's in these sort of areas where these laws like try to come up. And for me, Idaho's probably going to end up having to change the legislation just because um, of how impactful that community is as far as being able to get people to immediately pull out their support of uh, institutions, businesses, whatever the case may be, they all are more more than likely going to pull out because they don't want their name to be uh, associated with being anti-transgender or against the LGBTQ community in any sort of way. And uh, I could definitely see the same thing happening here with uh, this HB 500. Yeah, and uh, Nick's guard, Reggie Bullock, also came out. His sister, who was a transgender, she was murdered in 2014 for being transgender. And he came out and said, you know, this is personal for me because of my sister. And she would want to use, for me to use my platform to, you know, bring awareness about this. And this whole bill that Idaho has passed is a tremendous step backwards for equality and humanity. Um, and Boise State is actually scheduled next year to, or 2021, to host the first and second round of March Madness. So we'll see what happens with the NCAA in Idaho. Um, moving on, though, we are still in this pandemic, unfortunately. Um, Very unfortunate. And we're seeing it starting to hit college sports as well, particularly college football. Um, a lot of schools have come back from, or they've been allowed from uh, their conference or the NCAA to return to uh, voluntary in-person athletic activities. And we're seeing a lot of repercussions from this happening. Uh, if you look at Auburn, three football players have tested positive for COVID-19 and Auburn's athletic spokesperson, Kurt Sampson, said that they're all asymptomatic and have been isolated. Uh, and then we saw in Alabama, five football players tested positive for COVID-19, or at least five that we know of. The team mm. came out and said that there could that there were quote unquote several, so we don't even know about that. And then Oklahoma State linebacker tested positive along with two other teammates, um, and all of those players are asymptomatic. And this actually affected the freshmen as well because they were supposed to move in last weekend, but they had to delay that because of this whole issue. And then uh, UCF, Florida State, Boise State, Marshall, like the list just keeps going on of schools that have players that have tested positive for coronavirus. So with all this being said, do you think that the NCAA should continue to push for the opening of in-person activities and camps, or should they ease up and wait till the dust settles a little bit on uh, COVID-19? Uh, I think it should be like a case by case basis. So like if a school um, has confirmed that they have had no sort of cases of coronavirus and, and they can ensure that all their players are good and 100% healthy, then I think that, that that situation should be different as opposed to if there is at least like one or two 
players that have tested positive on a campus, then obviously you have to take different precautions. But I think that you should maybe ease up a little bit, a little bit, just because I think that um, a lot of people, and I'm not faulting anybody, of course, everybody wants to get out of quarantine. Nobody wants to be stuck at home. Everybody wants to get back to living life and not having to be dealing with this coronavirus ordeal and this situation that's pretty much just swept through the entire world and changed life as we know it. But at the same time, um, health is what matters and everybody's individual health should matter. And so I think if players are at risk and you're seeing this not just be a small uh, trend, but if this is starting to become like a regularity where you see like at least one person on every campus has at least tested positive for it, then you got to make a decision as the governing body of college sports and maybe not put other players at risk. And I know you're quarantining and I know that you're, you know, separating players and trying to get them, but you just have to think about what's going on and just really take a deep breath and step a step back and ask yourself, do you want to be responsible for young men and women at the collegiate level, potentially putting their lives at risk and somebody, God forbid, lose their life because you said like, yeah, it's okay to come to the facility or have activities available. Uh, So I just think that the NCAA should maybe speak with the different conferences, speak with different schools about a better way or some sort of way to ease into it instead of just rushing everything. Because I feel like everybody's rushing everything and everybody's kind of foregoing the steps and the, 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 the things like I'm seeing, we just talked about it on the last episode, like Vegas completely has opened up and you're not seeing people use masks. You're not seeing people be six, at least six feet apart. People are just completely throwing that out the window and they're going immediately back to the way things are, could care less what happens. They just want to go back to living life. And I don't think that's necessarily the right decision. I think the biggest thing here is the fact that almost all of these players have been tested and been asymptomatic. So I think that's a bigger thing we're also seeing nowadays is that testing is becoming more and more accessible just to the public as well, too. And that's why you're seeing coronavirus numbers rise in general. So with, with players being asymptomatic, I mean, it could enter your system and it may not affect you, but it could affect the person next to you as well. So like to to your credit, I think that the NCAA should definitely take this serious and not just say, okay, it was a couple people, the rest of them are fine kind of a thing. Let's get this season up and running again. Um, especially people like Oklahoma State's Mike Gundy. He was, I believe back in April, he was getting restless and he said, I want my coaches in the facilities by May 1st and I want my players. So a couple weeks after and everyone was like, whoa, 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 like hold on kind of thing. And he came out and apologized later, but like you said, everyone's getting real sick and tired of this quarantine and getting over it, but then CAA needs to do right by these players and coaches for sure. 100% couldn't agree more. All right. Now let's move on to 
another major issue in college sports right now. Obviously, right now we're fighting against social injustice, and there's been a lot of racism in collegiate sports, um, especially, and they're coming to life now because of everything that's happening, um, kind of getting brought up back from under the rug. And in particular, there was the Clemson assistant coach who admitted using the N-word in 2017. Uh, Utah suspended their defense coordinator in 2013 for racist text messages. Former Iowa players say that there's racial disparity in the program. And then Oregon State dismissed their tight end for a leaked audio clips film with racial slurs. So racism exists in college football as well. But the great news is that uh, conferences like the Big Ten are trying to make change and they're forming anti-racism and anti-hate task force basically to to stop racism and hate. What are your thoughts about this? I think that uh, I believe the Big Ten, uh, like the leader of the Big Ten, he's the, the one of, if not the first official uh, black leader of a major power five conference his name is kevin warren right kevin warren so like he is someone that is already trying to implement something new something different not just to impact one school but to impact an entire conference and i think that is a big step to take into and a step in which um you might not really see maybe breed around the entire shape of uh, college athletics, but at the same time, he's willing to take a risk. He's willing to try something different. I mean, I can always give credit to somebody who's willing to at least attempt to do something or at least trying to make efforts of changing things, whether they succeed or fail. At least they went out and they did something. And I feel that the my main thing with this is uh, I'm just curious as to far as what are they trying to accomplish because when you say the word anti-racism, anti-hate task force, I'm wondering what goes into that and who's on the committee and who gets to decide who gets to be on this task force, I guess I should say. But overall, I think that taking the the first attempt into doing it, kudos to uh, Warren, kudos to the Big Ten, and it'll be very interesting to see if there's any sort of ripple effect from this. Yeah, and... Kevin Warren also donated $100,000 from the Warren Family Foundation to the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. And, you know, you love to see stuff like this. And even even if it's not donations or it's, you know, creating a committee, it's little stuff like LSU's head coach. He's basically saying that all LSU players will be registered to vote. And also Mark View and Gonzaga are canceling team activities on election day because they're trying to raise awareness that each vote counts and I mean I think they're just trying to start a movement to just make election day a mandatory day off in the NCAA what are your thoughts on that I think that um a lot of times like people don't really take voting that serious a lot of people don't aren't really sure if they matter like as far as the voting process I believe they said uh couple years ago the 2018 primaries uh voting for people between the ages of 18 and 24 was dropped to like 30 percent or something like that like it it significantly was impacted 
And so um, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm proud of the generation I was born in and I appreciate uh, what everybody has done prior to me existing on this planet. But I definitely realize that the generation I, I live in are full of a lot of people that just simply love to complain. <laughs> like, look no further than social media, Twitter, Instagram. It's full of a lot of people who love to complain, but they are not interested in really putting any action. They're just more so into reacting rather acting. So, And I think also a big thing to what you said about this generation is that players have these huge platforms and coaches or whatever you may say, these celebrities. But the thing is, is this generation is so sensitive that you don't want to say the wrong word. One little misspelling of a word or something like that can change a whole meaning of something. And this generation takes things very sensitive. Yeah. Um, I just saw recently that uh, YG was put under fire because I guess he was at the protests he was uh, filming a music video for his uh, for his uh, song uh, "F the Police," and people were criticizing him for his role in that. And his response was pretty much, "This is my way of 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 acting. You know, this is my 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 action. This is what I'm providing. I helped draw in over like five hundred thousand people or whatever it was to this protest, and." I'm trying to spread awareness and I'm also trying to use my platform and use my talents and use this song in order to, uh, in order to be a part of the movement. And so you just, you just, you know, and I go, and I went back and forth on it too myself. Cause I was at first, I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. But then again, everybody has their phones out. Everybody is on social media at these protests and at these rallies. And so it's easy to to point out at the celebrity for doing it. But what about the thousands or so people that are doing the exact same thing on their phone? They're trying to get, they're trying to clout chase, trying to get their followers up, trying to, you know, show everybody like, Hey, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the movement. Hashtag yeah, Black you, Lives Matter. Hashtag you see BLM. A lot of, yeah, you see a lot of videos of like those bloggers and whatever, literally just taking pictures for the gram or whatever it is. Yeah. Saying that hey, I'm uh, I'm I'm woke. I'm cold. Yeah, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm out here. Yeah, I think like a model got criticized for that. I think even Kylie Jenner like posted something where she had a photoshopped Black Lives Matter sign and you can oh, and the shadow it was yeah yeah you can actually see that the shadow that she didn't have the sign in her hand so uh yeah I, I don't know i don't know if she like posted that or whatever but uh it got posted to her account so it, it just looks bad in general it looks like you're just trying to clout chase yeah kind of use sure. the movement for your own brand gain own financial gain and it shouldn't be about that. But at the same time, again, looking at what some people were saying and looking at what YG was saying, if I can use my platform, if I can use my talents to, you know, gain even more traction on the movement, put, you know, the movement in my own craft, in my own songs, then, you know, why would I not do that? But, you know, it, I go back and forth because, again, we always talk about this. Whatever you do, there's going to be consequences for your actions. So whether or not he films at the protests, if he decides to film at the protests, 
whether you're a celebrity or not, you're going to be looked upon as what are you doing? What are you saying? And then for those who are critical of the protests, they're going to be looked at as what are you doing in the community? What are you uh, doing to help benefit since you want to be so critical about it? You know, this, this, that, and the third. And so uh, at this point in time, a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands and a lot of people um, are able to sit on the internet and just go back and forth and just argue. Just nitpick everything. And just nitpick literally everything that somebody yeah. else does. Uh, fortunately, I'm not one of those people because <laughs> I have to. But I, I think I think definitely like bringing it back to the YG thing. Like even if this guy makes a song, FDT, which for those of you that don't mm-hmm. know is F Donald Trump. How many people were bumping that shit throughout the entire elections, throughout that's the true. entire Trump rally? So I mean, people are definitely gonna bring awareness, and that's literally just by playing him his song and bumping it out of like in their car, driving yeah. down the street, stuff like that. So I don't know. But like we said, everyone is just nitpicky. Um, other other athletes and celebrities like LeBron James and other black athletes and entertainers are teaming up together to launch more than a vote. That is a no, their nonprofit, and it's basically to energize and encourage black voters to that that they could prove to be a critical part in this upcoming presidential election. So you love to see these celebrities and athletes using their pa- platform for their for the greater good. Yeah, I mean, we'll see as far as um, if it if it actually is able to have the same level of impact because LeBron was LeBron, Beyonce, Jay Z, and you know several different other celebrities uh, four years ago were trying to use their platform and uh, it still didn't even impact. Like even LeBron's own state of Ohio was like, "Yeah, that's cool, bro, that you want us to vote." Uh, for Hillary, but it's like, nah, we're not doing that. So, yeah. So, so my thing is, I guess, is like, it all I think depends on really what uh, statewide or nationwide what the the feeling is around the election or around uh, the level of impact. And I just think that uh, while voting is important, I think that the change for me, culturally starts at the home. It starts with the everyday average dude, average woman, average child playing your role um, and, and, and being able to uh, establish your culture in your household goes a long way into uh, the treatment of those outside of your household. So I think that that, that, that takes a big step but not a lot of people even see it that way sometimes people just think of like the mass change but you don't even think about the, the micro stuff you don't think about the the everyday stuff that you deal with or the the things that you can just change simply by the way you look the way you say or uh react to certain things or how you speak to certain people i think that that that's impactful in itself because a lot of times uh things escalate and things get out of hand when you could have just de-escalated the situation or you could have made something less instead of making something out of nothing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one of the biggest things right now going on in sports is athletes, you know, going to HBCUs, potentially making a revolution right there. And I know Corey, you had 
a great interview with one of your friends. So why don't you go ahead and touch light on that? Yeah, man. Uh, like you said, like one of those big things right now is whether or not more black athletes are going to shift the paradigm of collegiate sports and decide to go more into historically black colleges. And one of my long-term friends and former HBCU college basketball player, Kyle Benton, and I had a conversation on that. Take a listen. All right, everybody, I'm joined by my long-term friend and former collegiate athlete himself, Kyle Benton. Kyle, good to have you here, man. Hey, man, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and congratulations on the whole podcast, man. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it, brother. Um, so how's things been going on with you, man, uh, despite everything that's been going on? Uh, things have been going, uh, you know, been pretty slow. You know, luckily, I, I this is a perfect time for me to spend time with my family and some friends. You know, I have a girlfriend as well. So, you know, things were fast-paced before, and now just being inside, it's good to spend some time with the family. So, um, you know, it's been good. It's been nice. Uh, I mean, washing my hands and everything, you know, keeping my distance and, you know, so. But yeah, other than that, it's been good. Nah, I feel you. I feel you. Got to wash them hands. Stay safe at all yeah, times. Yeah, most definitely. But Kyle, in light of like everything that's been going on, I kind of wanted to get into it with you, like as far as talking about your experiences uh, with playing the game of basketball and especially at the collegiate level. So let's start like from the beginning, pretty much like what made you start to think that, hey, I'm pretty good at this basketball thing and I can maybe play at the collegiate level. Um, honestly, I think it was just the confidence uh, I got just through high school, you know, just performing well and. You know, I honestly never saw myself playing basketball after high school, you know, until, uh, you know, I started getting a little recognition, a couple of letters here and there. And, you know, I started, you know, you you recognize I, I, I was, you know, 6'3". I grew from like 6'2 to 6'3 to like 6'5, 6'6 within a year. And, I ain't going to lie. I was uh, jelly. I was jelly. <laughs> I was jelly. Still am. So, still am. <laughs> to this day. I'm like, damn, bro, I was trying to be 6'6". <laughs> I was like, we we're about the same height, right? Around 13 years old. And then, you know, I just had a crazy growth spurt. And, you know, I just... You know, things just started just changing that way. And, yeah, so. What was it like when you got your uh, your first offer? Man, it was honestly unbelievable. It was kind of like, wow, like, this is actually happening. Uh, you know, I can, I'm actually going to, you know, get a chance to actually play college basketball. And it was, you know, it was obviously a blessing. But, yeah, that first offer was, uh, was definitely nice. For sure, man, for sure. So what was the recruitment process like when uh, you were getting – wined and dined or was it just straightforward did you have like a laundry list of schools like what was it like man what was it like uh you know i had a couple of lists of schools um you know i only actually took one official visit uh actually well yeah i took an unofficial visit to loyal and marymount but i took my official visit you know where they pay for everything to portland state and that was my first and i honestly just loved it i loved how it wasn't too far uh you know it was far enough for me to like you know be outside of California, be away from home and, you know, kind of grow up, you know, kind of learn, you know, just things on my own. I, you know, if I went to Loyola Marymount, you know, I'd easily have home to come to. And I kind of just wanted to, you know, be 18 and learn how to be on my own. So I love that. I love the city. Um, you know, they're basketball fans out there. You know, they don't have a, a football team in Portland. They they go for the Seahawks. So, you know, they love the Trailblazers. So they love, they love basketball. So uh, that was, I love that as well. So, and I also, Portland has an L.A. feel to it as well. It's not like going across the country. So it was a good transition for me to, you know, learn and be on my own. 
Wow, L.A. feel. Wow, yeah. Portland has an yeah. L.A. feel. It does. Downtown, where I where I was at in downtown Portland, there's, you know, you look up and you can see hills and, you know, some when, when it's rainy, it's rainy, but, you know, there's times when you're when it's sunny and you're like, wow, this feels like L.A. with the with the scenery and everything like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. For sure, man, for sure. What made you end up uh, going with Portland State and, uh, playing, and playing there? Uh, honestly, I built a fast relationship with my teammates. I actually still talk to them. You know, one of my, the older teammates who was, was probably about 28 or 29 now, you know, he just hit me up, reached out, you know, so I got there. I just, you know, they kind of just welcomed me in pretty fast, actually, on my visit. Um, my host, um, who was a teammate, who was my teammate, he was really cool, you know, so just told me about everything. And the coaches, you know, they, you know, obviously took me out to restaurants and they were, easy to get along with so you know that was my uh that was the reason why I went I just I love my visit I love the team and uh, yeah so so you 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 played at Portland State for for how long I was only there for for a year so you were there for a year and then you decided to transfer what what made you end up leaving uh so like most reasons, I didn't play. Uh, you know, you come in, which happens to a lot of freshmen. You come in thinking you're gonna you're gonna play, and uh, you know there was obviously you know older kids who you know it was a cult. it was a, a I was it was overwhelming. It was a, it was a shock. Obviously, you know, obviously you're, you're not as good as you think you are. There's better players, and you got to work on your game. But um, I just thought it. I just needed a kind of like a restart. You know, I didn't think I came in. I think the coaches, the vision of the coaches during that year. You know, I was kind of you know, given attitudes. So I kind of just wanted a fresh start, you know. So I was like, you know, let me do this again. Let me really, like, put 100% into my game and, like, start the whole recruitment process over again. I just thought their vision of me was kind of skewed. I just wanted to restart. Um, but, you know, they were – it was – the coaches were nice. The team was good. And, you know, um, I wish I could have stayed. I love the school aspect, but basketball uh, just wasn't there for me. And, you know, I had the opportunity to, to leave and, yeah. So from Portland State, where'd you end up going to? Was it straight uh, to another four year, or was it? Did you go to the JC route, or? So what happened was the only school that wanted me was Cal State Northridge, you know, still Division One. But the only problem was they they just gave out their last scholarship like a week before, oh, you man. know. So you know he was like, you know, we really want you. Obviously, you got to sit out a year, but um, you know, like we really want you. We'll do whatever we can to give you some scholarships and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm like, man, like the whole point of getting a scholarship is just not, you know, so you don't have to pay and all that. So it was like, so, you know, that's when I started looking at other options and I decided to do junior college route when I went to San Bernardino junior college. So, you know, we, we, we went that route and they were really, they're part like, you know, the number one, or number two team in California. So it was really good. We had our, the point guard there went to Washington state and he's overseas as well. I still work out with him uh, every other day or so. But yeah, so I decided to do that. Um, and then, yeah, so. So you end up going from San Bernardino to North Carolina Central. Yes. Please tell me what made you, Kyle, decide to go to an HBCU? Because I would have never thought, like right. all the conversations <laughs> and like all our interactions, I would have never thought right. that that was something that was like in your head or something that you would want to do. Like, so what, what right. made you want to do that? And I think that my decision is the my the way my thought process works worked is uh is really how other kids right now are are probably thinking. I wasn't educated on HBCUs. I'm thinking 
you know, when I first got hit, my coach was like, hey, you know, North Carolina Central, you know, they're, they they really want you. And I'm like, I don't really don't want to go to HBC. You know, <laughs> like, I was like, I kind of want to go to, like, a, a real school. And he's like, no. Like, I feel you. You know, I'm like, I was like, I kind of want to go to, like, a, this, like a normal HBCU. Like, uh, I didn't know too much about it, but I wasn't educated on it. And that's what I think a lot of kids aren't educated. Uh, so, you know, he's like, no, I mean, they just – Made the NIT, you know, they had a 16-0 during conference. Their coach is really good, and they're on the up and up, you know. And I was like, really? Like, in uh, their game, I think that night he was like, yeah, they're playing tonight, and they're playing Miami. And I watched them, and they competed against Miami. They ended up losing, but they probably lost by, like, two or three points to Miami, you know, who I think they had Shane Larkin that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, Shane Larkin, yeah. So, like, I was, I was like, wow, like, this is actually a good school. And I started looking more into it, and they, their program was on the up and up. So, um Honestly, and that was the only reason. It wasn't because of what I learned uh, about black history being there. It was just because, like, oh, wow, they're, they're on TV and, you know, they're a good program they're on the up and up. Like, I can, I, I want to I do it. Like, you know, besides all the other schools that were looking at me, uh, this school was, was a top mid-major. They're still a top mid-major, actually. So making the March Madness NCAA the last four years. So, so yeah. Yeah, man. And uh, when you step on campus – was it like an immediate like culture shock for you? Oh you're like, my! Oh. You're like, dang, bro! I haven't been around all these black people before. Oh my! Oh my God! It was completely. And they looked at me because I dressed different. You know, from California, you know, we dressed skinny oh, yeah. jeans and yeah, like yeah, yeah. bands and you know, skateboarder style kind of. And like everyone else is kind of you know the beard, rough look, and they got you know just the style was different. So you know the way I talked, they were they were their lingo was different, and it was like wow, like. This is really different. It took me a little bit to get used to, but as they knew me, you know, I'm like, like you know, I'm six seven, so I was kind of. They saw me everywhere, and I got comfortable with them. And they got comfortable with me, and they kind of welcomed me after that. But at first, you know, like everyone on campus, they kind of just knew, like, oh, this is the Cali kid, it's the LA kid. Like, you tell he's different, you know. So yeah, I remember I seen a. Uh, yeah, I remember I seen uh, something on uh, social media one time where some one of your teammates was calling you a uh, Cali Kyle or something yeah, like that. I was like, yeah. oh man. <laughs> Oh yeah, man, my boy yeah. getting bullied out there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of a little bit like that. It was a little bit of bully, a little bit. They, I mean, they they're just you know they've never experienced LA before and that, so they they see me and it's kind of you know it's new to them. So, what would you say was like the biggest difference from being that? I know it was only one year, but being at Portland State, being at San Bernardino, what was the difference between being at those schools compared to North Carolina Central? Um. I just think the I think I learned so much about basketball, the game of basketball, and the the thought process of basketball through there. The coach um, Lavelle Moton, you know, he's uh, he's very outspoken. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've uh, heard about him. You know, he's been recently um, debuted on Undisputed with Shannon Shannon Sharp and uh, yeah, I think Bayless, I saw that like a couple of days ago. You know, he's uh, very 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 extroverted and um, so just learning about just life as a not just like an athlete, but a black athlete and a black man and just things like that. I think that was the difference. I didn't get that at Portland State or necessarily at San Bernardino. You know, it was more, he was more of like a teacher, almost like father figure type to to us, to the team. So I think that was the biggest difference. And that's why I enjoyed it. And I think if uh, high school kids coming up knew that they would, you know, make the transition to being at HBC as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I think that, whenever you're in that uh that process of trying to pick a school or trying to pick a, a place to go to especially when it's outside of the state 
even like, you know, for some, the country that you live in, it's a big adjustment that you have to make. And uh, I think that with certain people going to an historically black college, especially if you're going from like a place like Cali all the way over to like, you know, like the South area, North Carolina (laughs) area, that's like going to be a culture shock. I don't care who you are. Yeah. So um, I, I guess like, you know, with being, with giving that experience and seeing you, on that team and seeing you guys grow and seeing you guys even go to the NCAA tournament. Um, like, you know, just talk about like, what was that experience like, man? Man, it was, it was beautiful. It was probably the most fun I ever had. And, you know, I reminisce about it all the time. It was a dream, you know, obviously as a kid, you know, you dream about, you know, being in March madness and all that. And not a lot of college players, you know, get a chance to do that. You know, I know a lot of, you know, uh, overseas pros and stuff. We talk about like, man, you got to experience that. And it was, it was just a blessing, you know. We we played at a in Dayton, Ohio, and I remember um, we had shoot around like the the day before the game, and you know, there's just they they allowed a couple fans, just like people to be and just watch us be in there and watch us shoot around and practice. And I remember kind of walking to the locker room after, and the guy or in between, and a guy or guy was like, "Hey, Kyle, like this, and this, and this," and I'm like, you know, I don't know this guy. He's and he's like, you know, they just have you know, bat, people who are really paying attention to you, and it's kind of like you kind of. It's like a, a shot of fame, kind of, you know, everyone's the spotlight's on you for a little bit. So, you know, that one shining moment, like they say, you know, everyone's all basketball fans are tuning in, you know, so it was it was really fun. So I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, HBCUs have kind of been in the news as of recently because right. of everything that's been going on with uh, the fight against social injustice and uh, with right. the recent tragedy of George Floyd. Um, Mikey Williams, who has been touted as the number one and a highly recruit for 2023, has already received an offer from your school, matter of fact. And so with players like that who are in ESPN, like top 10, top five, do you think that given the situation right now, do you think that more athletes should maybe consider it? going to the HBCU route and do you see that as being a reality of them actually doing it instead of it just I, being like talking about it? I believe, I, I believe they should, they should do it. I think it's great. Um, like you said, especially what's going on today with racial profiling on protests. Um, if you paid attention, a lot of power five coaches, they're silent, you know, they're not like about the whole issue. You know, it wasn't until recently, um, like I told you, my coach was on undisputed, um, was featured on Undisputed and, you know, about his comments about what was going on. And he said a lot of coaches have been able to create generational wealth, meaning their grandkids' kids are going to live a prosperous life because athletes who are the color of George Floyd are able to run a football, catch a football, shoot a basketball, or whatever have you. But whenever people, the complexion of George Floyd, are murdered, assassinated, killed in the street in broad daylight, they're silent. And... You know, when you think about a comment like this, you, you go, wow, like, you know, you know, whenever, you know, whenever a college team wins a big game, you know, coaches are the first ones, you see the power five, they're the first ones to do a, the new black pop culture dance or a TikTok oh, yeah, dance. Like, yeah, yeah, room, yeah, 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 right? yeah, Davos Sweeney so, for sure, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's I like, it's like when you, it, it just puts things into perspective, like, you know, it seems that, you know, these power five coaches, they're only black lives matter when it's benefiting them. And when it's like that, you know, who, who are you really playing for? Why don't you, you know, you want to play for someone who doesn't care that you're making the money and their family money, you know? You want to 
you want to play for someone else who understands what you're going through and is going to speak for you and you know because anything can happen but if you have a if you're playing for someone like that you know why would you want to and I get it you know power five is prime time and tv and I think that's probably the reason why a lot of kids are afraid to make that move but you know I think we're starting to see a lot of uh three-star athletes you know uh make the move and I think as that goes on so uh, I think maybe four star five maybe it can go down that route maybe Mikey Williams could be the first one you know as the direction starts moving you know we still got three years till he graduates high school yeah so it's yeah. a long time that's yeah, a long so, time so we'll and see. I think so things like that like um I think it's getting people to open up their minds about um you know what their situation is I have a friend that plays at Long Beach State actually uh who, who told me that he um during this whole Black Lives Matter he posts he retweeted something about Black Lives Matter and um, one of the boosters, the alumni, um, commented it and said, all lives matter and said some other stuff that obviously I can't say and unfollowed him on Twitter. And it's like, wow, like, I mean, obviously all lives matter, but, you know, like, you know, why would you want to be in that type of position? You know, obviously, if you went to a black school with black, with a black alma mater, you know, that wouldn't happen. They would support it. So it's kind of like he was asking about the whole HBCU process. What is What was it like, you know, because of everything that's happening? I think it's opening people's eyes, you know, the system of college basketball, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that um, it, during certain times like these, you, you kind of question who is on your side and you kind of question, um, it's hard for uh, certain people to see things through your eyes if they obviously haven't gone through it or haven't experienced anything like that themselves. So, right. you know, going to a, a HBCU school, historically black college university makes you somewhat develop that comfort of being able to be yourself, be around those who look like you and you exactly. gain, gain empathy because you're like, dang, I, I wasn't the only one that, that felt that or, or, right. or saw that or noticed that. It's Definitely. like everybody in the room kind of was like, okay, yeah, we, yeah. we kind of noticed that situation or had that same sort of experience as well. Yeah. And uh, everybody all, you know, every, we're, all, we're all individuals and we all go through certain things. You know, some, you know, people are not going to go through the same sort of experiences, but they felt the same sort of things. And so um, what you were saying, like, as far as considering it, um, I'm, I'm, what I'm noticing uh, especially is that just the whole dynamic of college basketball is changing in itself because you're now right. seeing guys like Jalen Green going to the G League and right. like more athletes are going overseas. More athletes are being conscious of, I don't want to be taken advantage of right. by the NCAA or by, right. like you said, a Power 5 school. Because right. it's cool if Coach K or John Calipari or whoever comes into the living room and talks you up and talks about how – I've gotten this guy to the NBA yeah. and I helped this dude and I, and you know, I could turn you into a better player and whatever the yeah. case may be. And I'm not saying those, those are bad guys. And I'm not saying that um, going, going to those schools, if you're a black athlete, that makes you a bad person. Right. But when, when times get tough and you, you feel alone or you feel as if things are stacked against you, that's when you figure out who's really on your side and who's, Most really, definitely. who's willing to, to get your back. Most so definitely. That's, it's almost that's, like they're scared, like, you know, about, you know, their alumni, whatever, like, you know, the reason why they weren't speaking out is because they don't want to, you know, be down or be looked at as bad as well. And if you, if you're not, if you're, if you're playing for a coach who's afraid to be, you know, outspoken and, you know, speak for what's right, you know, that's, 
if it's not worth it to you, if a black if a black man dying, you know, the same complexion as George Floyd is not enough to speak out, you know, because if, if black people wanted to end racism, if black people knew how to end racism, we would have done that 400 years ago. But we need help of what, you know, the white people, you know, the white people, the, the leaders of the white people, you know, because that's who changes the curve, you know, if, like I said, so. But yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what more players do as far as with collegiate sports. Um, I uh, start to hear like like you said, like how you mentioned what your friend is thinking of maybe transferring. I've heard like rumors that other p- players are thinking about transferring to yeah. HBCU route. So, do you think that there is going to be more of a, a push for uh, not only players um, but maybe even like you know different coaches to get more opportunities, not just in collegiate sports, but across the board and, and, and even in the pro levels as well. I, I definitely believe, it. I think what's going on right now, I think, I think it's uh, a lot of people are supporting the movement. So I think that uh, now's the opportunity. Like, I think like, for example, if we just took sports aside, I think jobs right now, I think with everything going on, I think a lot of, they're going to hire a lot of black people now because of what's going on. So uh, yeah, I believe that's, that's, that's going to, that's going to happen big time stuff um where uh, what team are you playing for or what what are you up to as far as like your your pro status right now so i haven't played in about over a year i had a ankle surgery uh that you know so i couldn't play this past season but you know now i'm all healthy again i'm ready to you know play next season so you know my age has been contacting some coaches uh so yeah so i'm just you know getting back in shape and you know trying to find gyms you know people having open runs that you know right now because i know things are tough it's tough to open gyms right now but you know that's what i've been up to all right well um i'm sure you'll keep me up to date and you know if you guys want to stay up to date uh what's your uh social media um for like instagram and stuff like that go ahead yeah go ahead and plug that yeah so kyle benton 25 on twitter and then kyle underscore benton 25 on instagram yeah make sure you go follow my man kb stay tuned Man is getting ready to get started back up on the grind and get back to the flow of things. Appreciate y'all listening to this interview with my boy, Kyle Benton. And he's about to do big and really big things coming up this upcoming basketball season. So stay tuned. Man, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. No problem, dude. So, yeah, Kush, um, uh, I think that a big part about our conversation was that we were talking about how impactful and how much this would swing the paradigm and already we're seeing that happen with the NCAA like you mentioned early on like with players deciding to go their own way everybody's taking their destiny into their own hands and they're trying to be the change or trying to do things differently whatever the case may be and if this is something that a Mikey Williams or a top athlete or a transfer student decides that they want to do by going the HBCU route, that is impactful because it would shift the paradigm and it would change the whole spectrum and perspective on collegiate sports. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I I definitely love the idea. And the fact that Mikey Williams, a guy who already has 2 million followers on Instagram. Yeah, can you imagine that? Having 2 million followers and you're like 15 years old. like 15 or 16, something like that. It's insane. Everybody knows who you are (laughs) worldwide. Yeah, so, but I mean, rightfully so. The guy's a beast. Oh, yeah, this dude. So that's why I think definitely something like that could definitely 
start a revolution. And I mean, there's actually, believe it or not, I don't think a lot of people know about this, but there has been very notable players going to the NBA and to the NFL coming out of HBCUs. Some of them are Sam Jones, who went on to win 10 NBA championships. You have Rick Mahorn, Earl Monroe, Charles Oakley, Willis Reed, and Ben Wallace. And those guys all had great, great careers. Some of them even in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. uh, from HBCUs. And in the NFL, you have guys like Shannon Sharp, Steve McNair, Michael Strahan, Walter Payton, and Jerry Rice. Again, multiple athletes that are in the Hall of Fame right now that are coming out of HBCU. So I think definitely someone like a Mikey Williams or whoever it may be can definitely change and start a revolution. And a lot of people have been saying that uh, he he definitely won't do this or he's just doing this to gain publicity or whatever the case may be. But if he did decide to do this, I think that saying that, oh, he won't get covered as much as if he – or he won't get covered as much as if he decided to go to like a Duke or a Kentucky or a Power Five is ridiculous because nowadays ESPN – if you're hot, they will go and find you. They will go and find you. Cameras will go and find you. And it doesn't matter where you are, what conference you're in. I mean, you literally had camera people go out to Lithuania. ESPN went out to Lithuania to watch LaMelo Ball and LiAngelo Ball play in Lithuania. And their own little Keeping Up with the Kardashians show. Exactly. So don't, so don't tell me that ESPN would not go out <laughs> to an HBCU and film these games and put them on uh, ESPN. So I just, even, I just see even it happening. If they, even if they don't, they don't get the coverage like people are saying to their credit, it doesn't hurt a player like Mikey Williams to do so. You think about it. Ben Simmons was the number one player in recruiting. He went to LSU. LSU doesn't get that much coverage when it comes to college basketball. Heck, the guy didn't even make the NCAA tournament. But what happens? The guy became the number one overall pick. The guy became an all-star. I mean, it, it – if your game backs you up and your status backs you up as well, it doesn't matter where you go because the scouts and the publicity, like you said, will follow you as well too. I mean, even just mid-major schools that don't get a lot of attention, some notable players to come out in recent history, Damian Lillard, Stephen Stephen Curry, Curry, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, to be honest, Kawhi Leonard, San Diego State University did not get a ton of publicity until Kawhi Leonard put them on the map. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, whatever future generations decide, whatever these young kids decide, I know they still got three years left to make these decisions. That's still a long ways away. So, but the fact that we're even having these conversations right now, I think is a testament of uh, these young kids and the, the, the colleges, you know, already – doing the due diligence of offering up them scholarships of being willing to not say like, well, that's Mikey Williams. You know, he's not going to go to HBCU. There's no chance whatsoever that we got a shot at him. Nah, forget that. We, we <laughs> let's give him this scholarship and see what happens. So uh, kudos to the HBCUs out there that are still going after five-star recruits, four-star recruits, and pretty much not allowing things to remain the status quo and who knows if this will have a ripple effect or this will have like a major impact outside of sports, but this would just be a very interesting thing to see and something that honestly would change the entire dynamic. Like I've been saying of college sports, if it were to happen, but 
we'll have to just wait and see what goes down. Yes, indeed. All right, well, that's going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. If you're not following us on social media, make sure you check us out on what Twitter. What are you guys doing? Follow us on social media. I you know. Guys. At the underscore nosebleeds on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, the nosebleeds. That's K N O W S bleeds. On Facebook, check us out. Uh, just type in the nosebleeds podcast in your search bar. And then also, big shout out to Kyle Benson for coming on the show. We really appreciate that. And Corey, your interview with him. Make sure to follow him. And that's pretty much it. We out of here. Like us, like Chris said, make sure y'all go check out my boy KB25. Appreciate you, Kyle, man. Future things coming in the future. Can't wait to see what he's got going on as far as uh, what he's planning on doing. And guys, stay tuned for the nosebleeds because like I always say, we're your number one source for a podcast.